0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu, a great big sharing platter of our favorite stories from across the week. I'm Rob Gifford, and on the table today we have the unexpected environmental consequences of peace in Colombia, should music streaming services police their playlists, and the human fascination with the sound of silence. But we must start with our cover, which this week addressed the mayhem and bloodshed in Gaza. Most of the time, most of the world would rather ignore this desperate strip of land on the Mediterranean Sea. But on the 14th of May, Israeli soldiers fired into crowds of Palestinian protesters at the border. More than 60 people were killed and thousands wounded, and the world was forced to take notice.
2: Many countries have denounced Israel. A few have recalled diplomats. Some people accuse it of war crimes. Others blame President Donald Trump for causing the clashes by moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem.
1: Israel is the far stronger party. We wrote that it must be held to account.
2: Every state has a right to defend its borders. But the fence between Gaza and Israel is no ordinary border. Gaza is a prison, not a state. Measuring 365 square kilometres and home to two million people, it is one of the most crowded and miserable places on earth. Any Palestinian, even a farmer, coming within 300 metres of the fence is liable to be shot.
1: But this mess is the work of Palestinian hands too.
2: FATA, which administers the PA and parts of the West Bank, has withheld salaries for civil servants, working for the PA in Gaza, limited shipments of necessities such as drugs and baby milk, and cut payments to Israel for Gaza's electricity. Hamas bears much of the blame too. It all but destroyed the Oslo peace accords through its campaign of suicide bombings in the 1990s and 2000s. It has misruled Gaza ever since, proving corrupt, oppressive and incompetent.
1: Israel, for its part, is thriving. It's just celebrated its 70th birthday and has little motivation to change its ways.
2: By managing the conflict, rather than trying to end it, Mr Netanyahu has kept Palestinian violence in check while giving nothing away. The Trump administration supports it, and Arab states seeking an ally against a rising Iran have never had better relations with it.
1: We argued that Israel cannot just hope Hamas will be overthrown in Gaza, but at the same time the Palestinians themselves could do much, much more.
2: Israel is wrong to stop seeking a deal, and Mr Trump is wrong to prejudge the status of Jerusalem. But Palestinians have made it easy for Israel to claim that there is no partner for peace, divided as they are between a tired nationalist Fatah that cannot deliver peace and an Islamist Hamas that refuses to do so. In short, if Palestinians want Israel to stop throttling them, they must first convince Israelis it is safe to let go.
1: And you can read more in the briefing in this week's paper. The 52-year war between the Colombian government and the FARC revolutionaries once seemed almost as intractable as the situation in Gaza. They finally signed a peace agreement in 2016. And it turns out peace is not just good for people. Jeff Carr, our science editor, came on our Babbage podcast to explain why Colombia now has its sights set on becoming a biopower.
2: The FARC held uh, at one point about 40% of the country, and they obviously discouraged people from coming into it. Colombia's actually got the second largest terrestrial biodiversity of any country on the planet after Brazil, but it hasn't been that well catalogued because of the FARC. So the idea of Colombia Bio is to create, as you said, teams of various sorts of biologists, to a large extent uh, Colombians, but also in collaboration with uh, a number of other countries, including Britain, uh, who are sending over what one might describe as biological mercenaries to assist the regular troops of the
1: Colombian universities. You can hear that whole interview on our Babbage podcast, or to read more about Colombia's conservation army and whether it can survive the country's forthcoming election, pick up a copy of this week's Economist. And if you're not a subscriber yet, you can get your first 12 issues for $12 or £12 by visiting economist.com forward slash radio offer. As part of our Open Future season, The Economist is debating the contentious question of freedom of movement. The Dutch economist Rutger Bregman is the author of Utopia for Realists. In it, he argues for completely open borders worldwide. Adrian Wooldridge, our budget columnist, thinks this way lies chaos or autocracy. They went head-to-head on our current affairs podcast, The Week Ahead. It's when you get immigration, unrestrained immigration, or very rapid immigration in the 80s and 90s, that you get downward pressure on the wages of large numbers of Americans. How does that fit with your theory? Well, to be honest, again, I think it's the other way around. So uh, if you look at the work, for example, of an economist like Tyler Cowen, he has argued very persuasively that actually the problem has not been immigration, but outsourcing, which is often, you know, if you don't have immigrants, then the only other thing you can do is outsource. And ironically, that does force wages down. But the evidence that immigration forces wages down for native workers is is very limited. And you can join the debate too. Go to economist.com forward slash open future, write to us at radio at economist.com, or tweet us at Economist Radio using the hashtag open future. We do read them, I promise. Last week, Matthew Draper wrote in from Charlottesville, Virginia. He took issue with an assessment of Karl Marx we'd published to mark the 200th anniversary of his birth. You presented Karl Marx's vision of a post-capitalist future as people essentially loafing about, hunting in the morning, fishing in the afternoon, raising cattle in the evening and criticising after dinner. May one inquire what the economist's vision of a strenuous life would entail? Well, Mr Draper, that's a difficult question, which I will answer after my long lunch. Our guest on the latest episode of The Economist Asks, our chat show, is no stranger to hard work on or off screen. Sarah Rafferty stars as Donna in the long-running legal drama Suits. You may have heard that at the weekend, her co-star Meghan Markle married Britain's Prince Harry. Sarah spoke to Anne McElvoy, head of Economist Radio, about the image of women on screen and the challenge of changing it.
3: Have you and other female members of the cast been involved in sort of pushing the roles of the women to evolve from being more than just the witty, smart girls who bring the coffee while the guys close the deals? Absolutely. I think that's been been a huge part of the conversation. Um, Sometimes, you know, I've been in the business for a long time, so I would say that I wasn't tremendously pushy about that. Um, There's a gender issue right there with that. Um, You have to be careful, you know, uh, in how you lean into your career um, in that way. But we are fortunate enough to have a creative team that is open to that.
1: Executives in almost all industries are under pressure to get on the right side of the Me Too movement. A piece in the business section of this week's paper heard a major key change in the music business.
3: On May 10th, Spotify announced a new policy on hate content and hateful conduct and removed two artists, XXXTentacion, a rapper, and R. Kelly, an R&B singer, from their official playlists due to allegations of abuse and mistreatment of women. Both artists deny any wrongdoing. It then quickly emerged that Apple Music and Pandora, two other streaming services, had quietly taken similar action. But
1: should streaming services be policing their playlists?
3: Their counterparts at the record labels have for decades looked the other way, as artists accused of various crimes rocketed to the top of sales charts.
1: And where should companies draw the line on who should face the music?
3: A representative for XXX Tentacion issued a list of 19 other artists accused or convicted of violent or disturbing behaviour who are featured on Spotify playlists, including Michael Jackson and James Brown. With the precedent now set, the pressure on streaming services to demote artists can be expected to increase.
1: And finally, when was the last time you heard Absolutely Nothing? Whether it's podcasts or the radio, traffic noise or your mobile phone, modern life has a constant soundtrack. An article in this week's
0: Books and Arts section went in search of the sound of silence. There is probably no more noise than there used to be. What has changed is not so much the level of noise, which previous centuries also complained about, but the level of distraction, which occupies the space that silence might invade. There looms another paradox, because when it does invade – in the depths of a pine forest, in the naked desert, in a suddenly vacated room – it often proves unnerving rather than welcome. People want silence, but not that much. Silence is not merely the absence of noise. For some writers it has substance, like sand that blocks the ears, or water slipping over the body. For others, it is a counter sound the still small voice Elijah heard after a tumult of wind and storm, or the speaking silence heard by Percy Bysshe on Mont Blanc. But we writers must face the fact that in pursuit of silence, our many words are often inadequate. At times, it may be best just to pause. The notes left out, the phrase unresolved, the words left hanging, are often eloquent – but not in a way that can be explained. The best evocations of silence in literature are those in which the word is never uttered. Take the closing sentence of Dubliners by James Joyce. His soul swooned slowly as he heard the snow falling faintly through the universe and faintly falling like the descent of their last end upon all the living and the dead.
1: Well, that's the end of this week's Tasting Menu. Swooning slowly, I'm Rob Gifford. In London, this is The Economist. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff – shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods – all at 50-80% to less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing –